Brother Tim Green, although my hair's really turning closer to his hair color, but uh, anyhow, do pray for Brother Green. Um, Had a little bit of interaction with him yesterday by way of text messages, and he's feeling a little bit better. He's got some medicine from the doctors, and uh, that seems to be helping, but he still is uh, quite sick, and uh, to my knowledge, he's still stuck in the Dallas area, and I know he'd like to be home. So please continue to pray for him. Take your Bibles, if you would, go to the book of Luke, chapter number 5, Luke, chapter number 5, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to reschedule the meeting with him uh, sometime here in the near future. I really felt really good about uh, him coming in. I just felt like there was something providential about it, and uh, obviously God knows better than us, and so we'll just see how things go in uh, in the near future. Luke chapter number 5, and I'd like to draw your attention uh, starting in verse number 12. Luke 5, verse number 12. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. Don't you love that story? I love just the terminology. I remember when I struggled doubting my own salvation, and this story really meant a lot to me because it told me something about the Lord. I, I got saved when I was young, didn't have really vivid recollection of it. And so I look back and I recognize some of the evidences of being saved, but just so many of the memories of what I actually said and did and what I understood was really, really cloudy. And the devil used that in my life and really, to be quite honest with you, tortured me for over a year as uh, I struggled with doubting my salvation, and I almost got to the point where I had asked the Lord to save me so many times, and just nothing would happen, that I was getting frustrated almost to the point that, well, maybe maybe God doesn't want to save me. And I come across this passage where this leper in great need said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And something just spoke to my heart when the Lord said, I will be thou clean. And that just assured my heart that the Lord wants to save me. He wants to uh, answer my prayer. And you know, you might be asking your question, well, when did the Lord save you? Well, I was already saved. And that's the reason that when I asked him to save me, literally hundreds upon hundreds of times, nothing would happen because the Lord had already saved me to the uttermost. You can't be any more saved than saved. Amen. And so the Lord wasn't going to answer my prayer because for him to answer my prayer and give me whatever emotional assurance that I was looking for, it would have further confused my faith. And so the Lord doesn't answer any prayer that isn't according to the truth. And so always remember that, that our God is a God of truth. He's not our emotional therapist. He is our supreme creator of this universe, and he is holy. He's our father, but I guess like someone once said, he ain't your daddy. And so I'm very, very thankful for a God who is a God of integrity and that he never changes. And because of that, I can take him at his word. And you know what? His word is going to mean a whole lot more to you 
than some experience that you've had yesterday or even in the future. And so as we continue, this isn't my message this morning, but I just wanted to comment on that because this passage has meant so much to me. And so it says here that uh, he immediately, the leprosy departed from him, verse 13. And in verse 14, Jesus charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Watch this in verse 15, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Verse 16, this is really the, the, the text where I draw my message from. In verse 16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. What I'd like to speak to you on this morning is a subject, uh, it's not always easy to get to Jesus. Let's pray, and I'll explain what I mean by that uh, with the message today. Father, it's good to be in church today. Thank you, Lord, for the songs of Zion, as we so affectionately call them, to sing about heaven, and Lord, singing about the throne of God and the streets of gold, but more importantly, about our Savior. Lord, as we talk about these stories here today, and uh, we want our focus to be on the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord, uh, we want to help people with their needs. And Lord, in this congregation today, as well as those that are watching through live stream, there is no way I could know everyone's need. And Father, if I did know everyone's need, there's no way that I could meet those needs. But Lord, we believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful. We believe that the Word of God is true. Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to present these truths with clarity and uh, help me, Father, to manage time well. Uh, We pray, Father, that uh, people would stay attentive. And above all, Lord, help us to see what we need to see and respond as we ought to respond. Lord, if anyone's here today without Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, that they would come to you today so that they could know you as personal Savior, as well as know that their sins have been forgiven and that they have a home in heaven. What a joy that would be if someone got saved today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Notice here, the Lord has just healed a leper, and that's certainly an amazing miracle. And then we find that just literally the multitude are thronging, trying to get to him. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to be healed by him. They want to see what's going on. And certainly, if you were in a hospital and somebody passed by and started healing people and you started seeing miracles, you'd certainly, uh, you know, you wouldn't be going, oh, what time is it? I got to get home and watch the news. No, you'd, you'd be part of the news and you'd want to know what's going on. So that's a natural response. But you know, something interesting about the Lord, he, he didn't come to be a celebrity. He didn't come for attention. And when all of this attention is happening, we find that he withdrew himself into the wilderness. Well, folks, there are times when it seems that we can't find the Lord. It seems like he withdraws or even hides himself. I know I'm sure that uh, Brother Tom and Sister Chris Gear are familiar with a message that uh, their former pastor preached, uh, Brother Hank Thompson. Tremendous message entitled, When God Hides Himself. 
what a classic message. I remember coming across that message and uh, literally had hundreds and hundreds of CDs duplicated, and I would just hand them out like I hand out candy to the kids on Wednesday night, because just a tremendous message and a tremendous truth that there is indeed times when God hides himself, or at least it certainly appears that he hides himself. The number one thing that we must remember during these times when it seems like we can't get to the Lord is we need to remember that Jesus does indeed care, even when it feels like he does not. Our text demonstrates that the crowd didn't really care about who Jesus was. They only cared about what he could do for them. Now, excuse me. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about what the Lord can do for us. But you know, a lot of times in life, and Jesus experienced it, we see it in Christianity or in religion today. I've seen it in churches my entire life that people will come to church hoping to get help for their problem, but they don't want, they want the results. They want their problems fixed, but they don't want the root of their problem fixed. They want their circumstances changed, but they don't want their, they don't want themselves changed. And so uh, there are certainly a lot of people that really don't care about Jesus. They only care about what he can do for them. And herein, in my opinion, is one of the biggest problems with modern Christianity. Jesus, what can you do for me? And it's all me, 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 I, I, I. And it's never about who he is. And uh, it's it's really, it's almost as if God becomes the genie in the bottle. And I just want to rub the, the bottle and get my three wishes. It is common to find people that claim to have received Jesus as their Savior. We were joking yesterday, Brother Tom Gear was commenting on our people here in our community as we were out on street ministry and just commenting on the positive response. You know, so many people drive by and give us a thumbs up and honk their horn and wave and they're, they're very happy that we're out there with the Word of God representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is a wonderful thing, and yet the reality of it is, is we're in a community that we've got just as many sin problems as most any other community. And so the reality of it is, is not everybody that says that they're saved are truly born-again believers. I joked with Brother Tom, and I said, well, don't you know everybody around here is saved? If you don't believe that, just go knock on, the, on doors, you know? Hey, how you doing? I'm Pastor Mitchell uh, from Temple Baptist Church. Uh, are you saved? Oh, yeah. And I've never for the life of me figured out what oh, yeah means. Like, well, of course, you know, I'm a good person. I'm, but anyhow, uh, we find that there are many, many people who profess to know Jesus as Savior, but it hasn't truly changed their life as being born again ought to. And so the bottom line here is that there are times when Jesus withdraws himself and that there are times when it's not always easy to get to him. The first thing I want to talk to you about as you turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2, is I want to talk to you about a paralyzed man. Our text, as we read it, speaks of a man who is sick of the palsy. And the term palsy 
is a type of paralysis. Now, palsy can mean a lot of different types. There, there are uh, partial paralysis, and there are all different causes of paralysis. A lot of times we think of paralysis as somebody that's had a spinal cord injury, but palsy goes way beyond just a spinal cord injury as the cause of paralysis. In uh, verse number one of Mark chapter number two, it says, again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, and this isn't talking about the media, by the way, although I will say this, the media does indeed uh, have an effective way of keeping people from Jesus. It says, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, notice not the faith of the sick of the palsy, but rather the those the, the four that were bearing this man, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Paralysis. Here's a person that couldn't get to Jesus if he wanted to. He needed help. Verse 5 shows his real problem. This wasn't just an accident. This wasn't just an infectious disease. This wasn't a genetic condition. Jesus identifies this paralyzed man's problem as sin. And by the way, let me point out that all of our problems find their root in sin. Whatever your struggle is, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, it doesn't matter. The problem is always sin. When you see someone who needs help, let me say this, if you're a believer and you're saved, when you see someone that needs help, don't criticize them, but rather do everything you possibly can do to help them. A lot of times we end up like the Levite and the priest. And uh, of course, you know the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. You've got a person in need, and a lot of times we start analyzing, well, how'd they get in such a bad situation? What did they do? Or how did they fail? And a lot of times we spend all this time trying to analyze the person when it would have been a whole lot quicker to just grab them and do whatever you can to try to help them and get them to Jesus Christ. And let me say this, that there isn't a problem that you have that Jesus can't solve it. I'm not saying he'll remove if you have a, a sickness or if you have a condition. I'm not saying that he will heal you physically, but I will say this to every single one of us that are saved, we're eventually going to be perfect and life's eventually going to be perfect. And so the medicine of the blood of Jesus on the cross, it works for everyone that applies it. But, you know, just like some earthly medicines, it doesn't work instantly as far as all of our earthly problems are concerned. But praise the Lord, it works perfectly and it works in every case. And I'm thankful for that. When you see someone who needs help, do everything you can to help them. Be persistent. Get creative. 
But by all means, try to get them to Jesus. And you know where to find Jesus. We find Jesus in the Word of God. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ministers, a lot of pastors today that try to encourage their people, get people into church. And sadly, many of those pastors are just trying to build a large congregation. Well, I would say that in all honesty, I would say do everything you can to get somebody to church. But not because we want all of the seats filled, but rather because we've got some answers, we've got some help. When we bring the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we are presenting to people Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you right up front, if you're new around here or if you're a visitor with us today, we have absolutely no desire to try to get you to join this church or make you a Baptist or or, or get you to be part of our group or our clique. I'll tell you what, the only thing that we have to offer you that's of any value is Jesus Christ. And I thank God that we have Him and we know Him. If you find yourself struggling to get to Him, take this word of advice. Ask for some help. Ask for some help. Stop being so proud and stop worrying about what anyone would think of you. I wonder how many people will end up in hell or how many Christians who are saved who go through unnecessary heartache and problems and trials in life that they could have gotten the help that they needed, but they were too proud to ask someone who might have some answers. Thank God that this man who was sick of the palsy, he wasn't too proud to allow these four to carry him to Jesus Christ. And thank God these four that carried him to Jesus Christ didn't look at the obstacles. They didn't look at the hindrances. They figured out a way to get this man to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he did something miraculous for that man. Not only did he heal him of his paralysis, but more importantly, that man walked away through that crowd with his sins forgiven. Amen to that. What a blessing and what a joy. And so sometimes it's hard to get to Jesus, but here's a man who was paralyzed that, praise the Lord, he got to Jesus. Number two, take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter number five, just a few pages over. And I want to talk to you about a desperate woman. Mark chapter number five and verse number 24, and Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. Here we have another crowd, another press, if you will, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole." And straightway, I mean immediately, folks, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Now, let me pause there for just a moment and let me point out 
that sometimes we think that we haven't done enough or we are not worthy of the Lord hearing our prayer or meeting our need. This woman never even considered that Jesus had to consciously know that she existed. She had so much faith in Jesus, she believed that if I just touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. Jesus didn't even know. When, when he turned around, he said, who touched me? So somehow or another, in his deity, mixed with his humanity, he felt that virtue. He felt that something that he had performed a miracle, but he didn't even do it consciously. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an amazing thing to know that if we, by faith, trust Jesus to do what he said that he'd do, to do what he's able to do, he'll do it without even realizing that he did it. That must not strike you like it does me, because that just encourages my heart. It excites me that the Lord is not only that powerful, but it doesn't have to be personal. What we perceive about ourselves is irrelevant. He responds to our faith. And so often we think that we have to be a certain way for him to respond to us, that he has to approve of us. Listen, he saves us and then the approvals, then, then we start changing. But if you think that you have to change in order for him to accept you, you're never going to come to the point where you feel like that you're worthy for him to do anything for you. If you feel like you are, then he's not going to do anything for you because you're too proud. Amen? So this woman had the right spirit. She had the right attitude. Verse number 31, And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? (laughs) They, They thought... That's a ridiculous question. Uh, They're probably thinking, look, if you don't know who touched you, we don't know. There's people touching you all over the, I mean, as we go through the crowd. I mean, we're rubbing shoulders and bumping elbows with literally hundreds of people. And you're, you're talking about one person who touched you? Verse 32, and he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. This is a desperate woman, folks. This woman had tried everything and spared no expense. We can only imagine the pain and the embarrassment that she had gone through in all of her attempts to try to find help, and then not only the shame, but the discouragement that I went through all of this, I paid money to go through additional suffering, through additional embarrassment, and after all of that, I'm not any better, I'm actually worse. Now let me pause and say this. Because I, I think that it deserves to be said. I understand in the, the, the time that we live in that physicians sometimes get a pretty bad rap. And, and I am certain that there are physicians who have not done their best in caring for people. And I'm sure that there are physicians out there that because of their education and all of their investment in becoming medical physicians that 
they almost have a, a God complex. Like they think that they are some kind of a miracle worker. But I believe that the majority of physicians that are out there, it's not just a career for them. They genuinely want to help people. And let me say this. Thank God for physicians that possess the rare, condom, com, the rare combination of care and competency. I've had physicians that were competent, but they didn't care. I've had physicians that cared, but they weren't competent. Both are bad scenarios. But if you have a physician that cares and is competent, you need to thank God for that because it's getting more and more rare. I thank God for uh, the physician that we have right now, and uh, it's, it's, it's a real joy to be able to know that you've got somebody that knows some things that uh, will actually call you and uh, show that, demonstrate that they care about you. Now, on a spiritual note, I want to say this. Too often people come to church and find that their needs aren't met. And sometimes church and Christianity gets the same bum rap that physicians get. I am certain, and I think anybody that's ever been in the care industry, if you want to call it that, caring for people, I'm sure that everyone at one time or another gets frustrated with people when they won't listen to you, when they won't do what you say, and then they blame you for their problems. Now, don't you know that there are literally many physical physicians out there that prescribe things, that tell people what they need to do to get healthy and to get better, and people don't listen to them? Uh, do you ever get frustrated that it seems like today the answer that every doctor gives you is just another pill? I, I, I know that sometimes they just they, they give you another pill and they don't even bother to check how does this pill interact with all the other pills that I've prescribed to you previously? And so they just assume, it's like, hey, here's your symptoms and here's the answer. It's a pill. Why do you think that they're that way? Well, I'll tell you, probably in many cases, they get frustrated with giving the medical advice that people won't listen to. Diet, exercise, different things that need to happen in order to get better. And they, they're like, well, you ain't going to listen to anything I say. So you want, you're wanting me to do something. If I send you home without doing something, then you're going to be frustrated thinking that I'm a quack. And so a lot of times they just end up saying, well, what can I do? I'll prescribe a pill. And so sometimes they get a bum rap. And it's not necessarily because of their competency and their care, but rather it's because people just won't listen and trust their expertise. The same thing happens in Christianity. Many people ultimately get upset at church or at the pastor. And just like with Moses, ultimately, if Moses was representing God and the people got upset at Moses, then Truthfully, they were getting upset with God because Moses wasn't doing anything on his own behalf. He was just representing God. And so a lot of people get end up resenting or resisting God because he doesn't seem to help them. But the problem is, is they're not listening to what he has to say. 
And so they approach God, like I've already said, God, fix my problems, but leave me alone. Let me live my life and do whatever I want to do. You just make things better. And folks, it just doesn't work that way. This woman here, this woman didn't need attention. She didn't need to feel special. She didn't even need to feel loved. She just needed help. She knew she had a problem. And too often people overlook the real solution and they, they, they're happy to make themselves victims or to justify not getting the real help that they need. But, you know, Jesus identified this woman's problem. Look at verse 34, the end of the verse. It says here, go in peace and be whole of thy plague. You ever thought about what a plague is? A plague, now, you know, we, we talk about the pandemic that has been global, and I, I don't know if um, if this pandemic would fall under the category of a plague. I, I'd say that depending on your definition or justification of plague, in many cases it would fall under that category. But I do know from the study of the word plague, as well as finding the usage of plague in God's Word, I find that a plague is typically an illness that is associated with something, with a behavior, if you will. It's a punishment or a judgment of God, not just an happenstance. Now, I don't know if the pandemic that we're dealing with the last year and a half is the judgment of God. God hasn't told me, has He told you? I think that God's judgment upon a sinful world is certainly justifiable. And if this isn't God's judgment, then and if you're disappointed at me saying this, then just buckle your seatbelt. Judgment is coming. The Bible prophesies. And let me say this. It's been a rough year and a half, almost two years, but you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, this is nothing compared to what Revelation says is going to happen to the human race and to planet Earth. So I don't have the answers. Is this God's judgment? Is this a plague? But Jesus identified this woman, the issue of blood, according to the definition of plague, it was associated with something that she had done. You know, we've all done things that deserve a plague, amen? Jesus identified the problem, but let me say this, just like this woman, you can't undo your past. You can't go back, you can't undo it. But I will say this, you don't have to let your plague or your problems identify who you are. Jesus knew her problem was connected to her past. But notice that Jesus never a single time here drew attention to this woman's past. He drew attention to her faith. And I think that's an important truth that we can all learn a lesson about the Lord and ourselves from. One thing about this woman is she didn't expect everything to be perfect. 
She wasn't proud like Naaman the Syrian back in the Old Testament when he comes to the man of God wanting to be healed of his leprosy. And the man of God doesn't even come out and and greet him. He just sends his servant and says, go and wash in the river and, you know, dip in there seven times and you'll be healed. And he went away in a rage. It's like, I'm important. I need some attention here. The, the, you know, the man of God needs to come out and there needs to be ceremony and he needs to strike his hand over the leprosy and he, I want to see something miraculous. You know how close that Naaman came to living the rest of his life in leprosy? And I cannot imagine how horrible it would be to be a leper. He came this close if it wasn't for that little girl who knew a thing or two about God, who said, hey, if he would have told you do some great thing, would you not have done it? Why can't you just do something simple? And I wonder how many people will not get saved because they're waiting on something that appears miraculous when salvation is just a simple, childlike act of faith. Coming to Jesus, knowing that you're in need, knowing that you are getting what you deserve, but if I can just touch his garment. This woman couldn't get an audience with him. She couldn't even get to him. I imagine that when she touched the hem of his garment, she's probably reaching out, and she probably just barely, I mean, as he's going by, she was just barely, she reached as far as she could, and perhaps maybe his robe just barely brushed, I mean, her farthest fingertip, barely touched. You know what she understood? She understood that something is better than nothing. And I wonder how often we rob ourselves of the blessings of God because we have this prideful sense that everything has to be perfect. You know, this this came to my mind as I was thinking about this concept. Just this past week, I had a conversation with Brother Glenn, and we were talking about we were talking about the prayer meeting on Saturday night. And just like I shared with you during announcements, it's encouraging to see more people come to prayer. And as we were talking, Brother Glenn made a statement that him and I have talked about on numerous occasions, is that too often, and I don't know how much of this is a cultural thing, a generational thing, or just a human trait, but too often people think it's all or nothing. It's like, if I can't be at every prayer meeting, then I'm not going to go to any prayer meetings. If I can't be at every street ministry, then I'm not going to be at any street ministries. And folks, we need to recognize the fact, you know, there are people that won't read the Bible because they don't feel that they can read as much as somebody else. Well, I tried to read through the whole Bible in a year and I failed, so I'm just going to quit. Look, something is better than nothing. And this woman understood this. Hey, I can't get his attention. I can't get an audience. It's too too crowded. I can't get to him. But if I could just touch the hem of his garment. In Zechariah 4, verse number 10, the scripture says, For who hath despised the day of small things? 
Now, we don't have time to study that, but you know what Zechariah is talking about? He goes on in that same verse to talk about Zerubbabel and the plumb line of Zerubbabel and so forth. He's talking about the rebuilding of the temple. And if you'll recall, I think I I preached on this several months ago, but in the book of Ezra, after the foundation of the house of God was laid, you had two things going on. You had the younger generation that are crying for joy, and you've got the old generation that are crying out of lamentation because the new one is not as glorious as the old one. You know what was going on in Ezra's day? It was a rebuilt temple, a rebuilt foundation that wasn't as good as the old, but God says, who has despised the day of small things? You know what? I love reading about great revivals of the past. The Welch Revival. I love reading about Whitfield and his ministry in the Northeast and how that that carried on down to Georgia and how that that broke out. You know that the revivals that took place in the state of North Carolina, you can find their roots back in Massachusetts as a result of the ministry of George Whitfield. I read about men like Billy Sunday that come into a community and he'd preach against liquor so hard the bars would shut down. Oh, what I'd give to see that in my lifetime. Amen? Man, I'd be rejoicing. I I think about this all the time at street ministry and we've joked about this a number of times, but I remember me and uh, Brother Peter Putney, when he was here, we, we wanted to go out and be salt. And so we ordered some scripture signs that talk about pornography as lust. And, you know, we got some real salty signs. And back when Hooters was still open, we stood out there on the street with our signs. And, you know, we're, we're standing there thinking we're, you know, we're, we're preaching against this. And people would just drive by. I mean, we didn't draw any attention at all. It was like, uh, who who cares? And then two weeks later, they shut down. And I'm like, yeah, we shut it down when we knew we didn't, you know, but we had some fun with it and we joked about it. But you know what? Things are not like they used to be. We'll probably never see a D.L. Moody or a Billy Sunday. And for that matter, and whatever you think of Billy Graham, I mean, we won't, I doubt that we'll see anything in, 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 Personally, I believe that that was a watered-down version of the D.L. Moody and the Billy Sunday and the Mordecai Ham stuff that used to go on in our nation. I'm not criticizing that. I'm saved as a result of that man's ministry, okay? So I'm thankful, but I have to, I have to look at it realistically. I don't even think we'll see that again in America. The watered-down version was the good old days to us. But let me say this. If God does something in your life today, I mean, if God does something, if a new family shows up here at temple and starts growing in the Lord, or if somebody gets saved, it could just be one little thing. It may not be like it was back when the buses were running, Brother James. It may not be when people were busting out the seams, and evangelism may never be like it was when Brother Mac Pennell would go knock on somebody's door and they'd say, come on into the living room, and he'd lead them to Jesus Christ. We may never see that again, folks. But if we see anything that God works 
do not despise the day of small things. Have the same faith as this desperate woman. If I can just touch the hem of the garment, I don't deserve anything, but anything is better than nothing. What a tremendous, tremendous story. I'd like to draw your attention to another one in Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. You know, here's a, here's a, uh, if you think about this one and put yourself in the narrative of this little story here, uh, you'll, it, it'll really speak to you. It'll, it'll show you something. Luke chapter number eight and verse number 19. Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. There it is again. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Now let me say as a side note, but it doesn't mean that this side note is not an important truth. Probably not as big of a deal in our culture here in North Carolina as it would be in Brother Jagrup's culture up in New York or many others who grew up in other parts of the nation. But if there was ever a proof that the Roman Catholic Church is dead wrong about Mary, it's right here. Mary had no special access to Jesus Christ. God made this clear. In fact, this narrative, I am convinced that the Holy Spirit included this little narrative. You got mama and you got the brothers that they can't get to him for the press. And so people are going saying, hey, they're, they're, they want it. They want to be let in. And I think that they were expecting Jesus to say, hey, clear the way here. But Jesus didn't say that. He'd say, they're no no more important than you are. My mother and my brethren, my family, Jesus says, are the people that hear the word of God and do it. You know what that tells you and I? That we have some say-so. If you want family privilege, then just start acting like family. You want God to treat you like you're his special son or daughter, then start acting like you're his special son or daughter. Start listening to his word and doing it, obeying it. Mary had no special access to God. 1 Timothy 2 verse number 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now the Roman Catholic Church does a sweet little two-step around this, and they say, Mary is not a mediator, she's a mediatrix. They just, they fabricate a feminine version of the word mediator, and then they say, look, we're not saying that you pray to Mary, we're saying that you pray through Mary. Well, it's a lie. It just Ain't so. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
You can pray to or through Mary all that you want, but she has no special access. I think she was a great saint of God. I think that she was a virtuous woman, and I think that it's an honor for her to be the mother of the Christ child. I think that's a tremendous thing. I'm not minimizing that. But she was a sinner that needed to be saved by grace just like you and I. She was a vessel Too often we think that our pedigree means something to the Lord. Hey, I'm an American. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Republican. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Listen, if you want to get to Jesus, you must come as a sinner believing only in His merits and not your own Matthew 7, verse number 21, now everyone, this is red letters in my Bible, now everyone, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If you're trusting in your pedigree or if you're trusting in you being a good religious person because you pray and you say, Lord, Lord, and you talk about the good Lord, and then you, you might have even, you might have preached some messages. I, I wonder how many preachers think that they're going to get to heaven because they've invested their life in preaching God's Word to other people. Let me tell you something. You can preach 24 hours a day for your entire life, and you, everything you say can be true. But if you're only professing and you're not possessing, you'll split hell wide open. None of it has anything to do with our merits. It has to do with the merits of Jesus Christ. Now, speaking of family, how many people allow their family to keep them from Jesus? I've known way too many people who continue to go to dead liberal churches because of family. They starve spiritually. They raise their families without the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. But kids grow up in a church that they've not experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. They've not seen a supernatural work of God in the hearts of people. They haven't seen God help people with their problems. It's just, well, I'm, I'm religious. This is the church that my parents and my grandparents went to. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with them having women preachers, and I don't agree with their stand on this and that, and I don't agree with them, you know, correcting the Word of God with other Bible versions, but you know what? It's just, it's, it's been in my family. You know, what do you think that the Lord thinks of that? When we allow family, or friends for that matter, or what anybody thinks of us, when we allow that to keep us from Jesus and from doing His will. Let me say this, and I'll get to my last point this morning. If family ever hinders your relationship with Jesus, choose Him. Choose Him. My last point, I want to talk about the naturally and the socially limited. Luke chapter number 19, 
naturally limited and socially limited. In Luke chapter number 19, we find a man that is physically limited when it comes to his stature. He wasn't tall enough to see Jesus or to get his attention. But folks, there are natural limitations that we all have. There are social limitations, and I'll explain Zacchaeus' social limitation here in just a moment. Let's read our text. Luke 19, verse number 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Naturally and socially limited, Zacchaeus was too short to see Jesus, and he was too short for Jesus to see him. You know what? He couldn't help it. He was born that way. I mean, listen, I, I, I know that people in general are a little bit taller than they used to be. You know what they attribute that to in modern times? I, I read an article in Newsweek or something, Time Magazine. You know what they attribute it to? McDonald's. Now, listen, I don't think they're saying McDonald's makes you healthier. I just think that, you know, people get a whole lot more calories and fat than they used to. And, you know, kids growing up, they get, you know, they're fed better. So naturally, they they grow a little bit taller than back maybe kids who grew up in the Depression. Well, Zacchaeus was naturally limited We all have natural limitations that keep us from getting to Jesus. But he was also socially limited in the sense that Zacchaeus had chosen the occupation of being a tax collector. Now, in this day and age, a tax collector basically worked for the Roman government. He was considered a traitor, a turncoat. Zacchaeus was very rich. Why was he very rich? Because he was exploiting God's people. He's charging more taxes than what they actually owed. If somebody owed 10 talents in taxes, he'd charge them 15, and he'd turn in the 10 to the Roman government, and then he'd take the 5 and he'd pocket it. Everybody knew that about publicans. They knew that about tax collectors. And so Zacchaeus, being a short man, he's probably compensating for how he was picked on or bullied. And it's just like, you know what I think? I think that Zacchaeus, he liked the power more than he liked the money. He only liked the riches because it made him feel powerful over people who his whole lifetime have made him feel powerless. And because of that, he was very socially limited as far as coming to Jesus. Listen, truthfully, 
I don't believe it was the sycamore tree that got Jesus' attention. You know, our Savior, not only does He know our life, but Jesus, even when He was here on this earth, you know, there would be times when He would be in a discussion with people and He would actually be reading their minds. Now, I don't know that He did that all of the time. You know, He was God, but He was also man. His deity was kind of placed on the shelf and He would have access to it from time to time when he would perform a miracle, when he would walk on the, 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 the sea, when he would, I mean, teleport himself from point A to point B and just show up magically and walk through doors and so forth. He had deity at access. But the fact that Jesus passed by Zacchaeus, he sees him up in the sycamore tree. I don't know if Jesus knew who he was before. I mean, tax collectors kind of have a a reputation. Maybe uh, Jesus knew him from growing up, but he looked up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste. I'm coming to your house for supper. Zacchaeus hadn't said anything yet. You know what I know about Jesus? It wasn't the sycamore tree that got Jesus' attention. Jesus is reading something that's going on in Zacchaeus' heart that's way, way more important than than that tree. Verse 8, Luke 19, verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. You know, Zacchaeus, you've been working for the Romans, but you're still, you're a Jew. You're a descendant of Abraham. Salvation's come to your house. Zacchaeus had something way more important than a sycamore tree. He had something going on in his heart, and that's what got the Lord's attention. Conclusion. I want to say this. If you truly want to get to Jesus, nothing will stop you. You won't have to be begged or bribed or manipulated The Bible says in John 6.37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Are you paralyzed by sin? Well, get some help. Have you given up in despair like that woman with the issue of blood? Well, remember that something is better than nothing. Are you trusting in vain pedigrees? I'm part of this church, or I'm this, or I'm that. Well, forget all of that, and just start doing the will of God. Or are you allowing natural limitations or past decisions to keep you from Jesus? Just like Zacchaeus, you don't need a sycamore tree. You just need a heart that's filled with repentance, turning from your sin, and turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He hears your heart, he knows your heart, and he's waiting to hear from your heart.
If you truly want to get to Jesus, nothing will stop you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's good to be in church today, and Lord, what a joy to take a look at a handful of stories from your word, people who received help and healing. And Lord, I don't know who this message was for, but I know that there are times and circumstances that make it difficult for us to get to you. I know that it is never your problem or your fault, it's always ours. Whatever the case may be, I pray that someone here today that perhaps has been having a hard time getting to you, that maybe something was said today that will help and encourage them so that they can get to Jesus, get saved, get their sins forgiven, or perhaps maybe a struggling believer that has a circumstance in life that they need help with. I pray that we would put into practice the things that we've heard and seen today. In Jesus' name, amen.